welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Okay, hello and welcome. I am so thankful you are joining me for this episode Um, Really quick, it's pouring rain and storming outside, so I'm going to see if we can get this done. Um, But you may hear really loud thunderclaps in the back, and so um, maybe that'll just be a nice um, soundtrack to (laughs) to this part of the episode. So today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by the wonderful Jenna DeWitt to discuss asexuality, aromanticism, dismantling the so-called norms within the church in order to more fully represent God's creation, true mutual sexual liberation, and more. Throughout the rest of this month, starting in this episode and in the next two, the Let It Matter podcast will be looking at various aspects of sex and sexuality with a particular interest in defining sexuality and sexual ethics for ourselves. For those of us who may have been raised in conservative evangelicalism or conservative Christian environments, and certainly within the waters of purity culture, we may begin to realize that the, quote, biblical sexual ethic that um, we've been given needs to be investigated and perhaps even dismantled and rebuilt in a way that is more consistent with our full selves, including our faith as we are now. To move beyond a sexuality entirely defined by the oft-misunderstood and out-of-context verses in the Old Testament and the epistles of the Bible that specifically mention sex, into a more robust, comprehensive, and life-giving understanding of sex and our sexuality. So to do that, I wanted to start off this month-long conversation by having Jenna talk to us about what it means and looks like to be asexual and aromantic and what sexual liberation has to include in order for it to be considered true sexual liberation. These three episodes will build on one another and overlap in the themes at times, and I hope you'll keep coming back for each installment and that at the end of the month you will feel well-resourced and equipped to at least begin this journey or take more steps toward full, flourishing sexuality and sexual ethics. So let me introduce Jenna and we'll get into it. Jenna DeWitt, her pronouns are she, her, is a writer, editor, and resource curator. She uses her powers as a sapphic, aromantic, asexual to advocate for queer belonging in the church and greater awareness of aromanticism and asexuality within affirming theology. Her website, InvisibleCakeSociety.com, provides resources, essays, poetry, and podcast interviews exploring the many facets of queerness, faith evolution, mental health, and more ways people can feel unseen. She lives in sunny Southern California with her 15 plants. Jenna, thank you so, so much for being on the show. 
Um, I am thrilled to have you and to dive into our topic today. Really quick, you may have seen this, but this um, episode is intentionally going to be airing on February the 13th, so the week of Valentine's Day. So thank you for being here this week, particularly. Sure. I'm so glad to be here. Very honored. So the title of this episode is The A in LGBTQIA+, and hint, it's not ally. Um, As I mentioned in your bio, you identify as sapphic-oriented arrow-ace queer. Um, So if we could, if we just start with a brief sort of breakdown of those those identities um, and what they mean. And then if you can just sort of include a broader description of the arrow ace spectrum in terms of um, experiencing attraction and arousal, uh, partnered sex, relationships, when and how and if those things occur along the spectrum. Sure. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I am so love talking about those things. So the A in LGBTQIA is for asexual, aromantic, and agender. Um, as a prefix, the letter A signifies without. So asexual people experience little to no sexual attraction. Aromantic people experience little to no romantic attraction. And agender people experience little to no gender alignment. Um, they each have a spectrum attached. So an aromantic or asexual person, we use arrow and ace for short, um, might rarely experience those attractions or only under certain circumstances. Um, but there are other attractions in addition to romantic and sexual, including aesthetic is like liking some, the way someone looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, platonic might be more like friendship. Sensual is like non-sexual touch um, and so on. There's, there's more. Um, I use the sapphic label in addition to arrow and ace because the attraction that I do experience is often oriented toward women in significant ways, even though it's not the way that mm-hmm. like a typical lesbian would experience those. Um, and all of this is like really gray. There's a lot of like fluidity mm-hmm. and flexibility in this. Um, so what might be like romantic to you may not seem that romantic to other people. They may just think mm-hmm. of it as a platonic thing or what, you know, you might like hold hands with your friends or cuddle on the couch or, you know, do things that are typically seen as like quote romantic or oh nobody looks at each other that way they must be in a romantic relationship but it's just platonic for you um Mm -hmm. so everybody defines these things differently um now if someone is not aromantic or asexual we use the term aloe so aloe romantic would be somebody who experiences typical levels of romantic attraction or an allosexual person would experience just typical levels of sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. And you can be in a combination of these. So you might be aromantic for a romantic orientation, but for allo, for an allo, for a sexual orientation. Sorry, hold on. Uh, I just want to take that bit by bit um, because the words can start to sound alike a little bit. So allosexual is the antonym, the Uh opposite of asexual. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's most people in the world. If you're not asexual, you are allosexual, basically. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we talk about these, um, this model of how attraction can be split. And so if you're aromantic heterosexual, you don't experience romantic attraction, but you do experience sexual attraction toward the, um, I'm going to use opposite mm-hmm. gender, but toward we know that gender is not a sure. binary. So you know what I mean by that. Um, you could be biromantic and asexual. You could be homoromantic, bisexual. It doesn't have to be aromantic or asexual to have split attraction. Anybody can have it. Um, and you can feel different ways about different genders and different mm-hmm. types of attraction. Um, so you can split it into any configuration you want. Um, orientation, though, doesn't dictate behavior. 
So you could have an asexual person who really enjoys having sex just because they like the experience of having sex. It might be an expression of love toward their partner. Um, they they might just have this favorable, we call it a favorable view mm-hmm. of sex. Um, same thing with an aromantic person is they might rarely experience romantic attraction or they just might really enjoy the affection or the attention or the um the longing that comes with being in a romantic relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. It's really difficult to define what is romantic attraction and what is romance. Um, and how do you separate that from sexuality when those two have been so mm-hmm. entwined um, over, you know, however long we've mm-hmm. thought about this as a concept of human history? Um, so I would say, um, you know, if you can think about the the things about sexuality to you that are non-sexual and that are maybe more like holding hands or going on dates with somebody or the, the things around marriage or, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be partnership because committed partnerships can also be platonic. Um, we have a term for those that's queer platonic relationships, QPRs. Um, anybody can be in those that they want to be. But um, there's this concept that we have um where we talk about how society has made relationships to where a relationship is romantic, it is sexual, it is committed, and it has to be the most important thing in your life. So um, a researcher out of the University of Arizona, I believe, um, or Arizona State, Elizabeth Brake, um, she's a researcher, uh, she has coined this term called a motto normativity. And the word a motto, you can think of a motto with um, amorous. So A-M-A-T-O. A-M-A-T-O. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of thinking of that, of um, that Latin root of love in a romantic and sexual way, um, essentially way. Um, and then normative just means that it is a norm in society um, that we are compulsively um indoctrinated into this as children. Um, and we've been indoctrinated to this concept of a motto normativity as the center of adulthood, the foundation of society, especially like in a biologically mm-hmm. reproductive sense. So naturally it ends up being really heteronormative as well. Um, so what ends up happening is that these other relationships in your life take a hit. So friendship is deprioritized, queer relationships are seen as deviant, um, extended family is relegated to supporting roles in the lives of the central characters, which is like the married parent couple, um, divorced people, widowed people. Um, there's everybody who falls in the cracks of these non-amato normative societal roles. You've talked before about how you know, you're a single woman and you're not aromantic, but you're living outside of these frameworks of a mononormativity. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've probably noticed that in your own life, how people expect you to have a partner. No, Jenna, I've never experienced that. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) It's the same way we talk about when patriarchy hurts Mm -hmm. men as well. Um, A mononormativity also hurts the couple that's supposed to be hyper-independent, that it's like, oh, I've married my best friend. It's like, but you have other friends. You have other best okay. friends. You have this whole community of people around you. Um, and so we do need mm-hmm. other people. We do need each other. Um, but we need a broad community. We weren't meant to live alone, but we weren't also meant to live in yeah. pairs. Siloed off. In this way that we have made it in. Yeah. Right. Exactly. In modern U.S. society is that normally in human history, we have all lived mm-hmm. together in a big community. Yeah. Um, so whether you're married or single or parent or child free or mm-hmm. old or young, everyone in between, whatever your labels are, um, 
everyone can benefit when we deprioritize a modern Mm -hmm. normativity and instead practice love for ourselves and our neighbors with mutual care and flourishing and all relationship types. Hey guys, just breaking in here real quick to tell you that the Let It Matter podcast has launched our Patreon community, and I would love to have you join us there. For just $4 a month US, you get exclusive content like additional episodes and uncut interviews, access to monthly matterings, a private monthly Zoom call with me for partners only, and lots more. Here is a sneak peek of a bonus episode on Deborah and Yael, available now on Patreon, which is part of a whole series of bonus episodes we're doing looking at women of valor in the Bible. Growing up in an ultra-conservative sort of patriarchal denomination, women in leadership were denounced in the strongest of terms, and scripture was used to do it. Deborah was said to be the exception, not the rule put in leadership by default because there were no men who would rise to the occasion. The very fact of her leadership was nothing more than an indictment of the character of the men. Her existence was still about the men in that tradition. She was a usurper, an anomaly, and dismissed without another word. And let me just say right now what a lie from the pit of hell that is. What an egregious reading of scripture— dismissal of Deborah, false accusation to every man in Israel, and horrible theology of the omnipotent God who in in their understanding, that, that tradition's understanding, found God's self to be lacking for resources and had to resort to a woman because he had no other options. Poor God. Insert eye roll here. To hear that full episode and the full Women of Valor bonus episode series, as well as get access to all the other perks exclusive to our partner community, go to letitmatterpodcast.com forward slash partners. Now back to the show. Okay, so I want to ask you, in, in February, this show is, we're focusing on sex, sexuality, relationships, and singleness. This episode is going to air the week of Valentine's Day, and I scheduled it that way intentionally because it's important for us, right, to remember that sex positivity and holistic ethical sexuality and comprehensive sex education, all of those things, they must include people who are not partnered or are not having sex or not in relationships um, or who don't want any or or some of those things, people who are asexual, aromantic, agendered. Um, you have said before that it's essential for sexual liberation to include those not having sex, right? And so I want to ask if you can talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always say that sexual liberation includes the choice not to have it because liberation isn't just the choice to do something. In order for it to truly be a choice, it has to include the consensual foundation of being able to say no. Mm. And uh, not just like, well, no for tonight, but maybe Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Um, No is in opting out altogether, whether simply of sexual partnership or of a modern normativity as a whole. Um, You don't have to want it. Liberation must be liberating for everyone, even those who choose something different than you personally find liberating. Mm. 
Um, so sex positivity is a similar term to sexual liberation. Um, we expand it to include sexual liberation, but um, basically it just means that we believe sex is not inherently morally evil or dirty, and we have a positive view of sex for society. So that's kind of rejecting that purity culture um, mentality. Um, we may not be sex favorable for ourselves. It doesn't necessarily mean Sorry, that we ourselves you say sex want favorable? it or want it often. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I just couldn't understand that word yeah, that you said. So, sex favorable. Uh, okay. Yeah, so we may not be sex favorable for ourselves. There is a spectrum here of personal favorability, indifference, averseness, and repulsion. And someone can be personally repulsed by the idea of having sex themselves or a specific type of sex, but believe that it should be allowed or even celebrated for those who do want to have it. Mm -hmm. Um, and this must extend in the reverse. So honoring those who don't want to have sex, including ourselves, whether for a season or for life, is vital to the complete vision of liberation. Mm. I like that because it, it – I mean, of course, it um, it is a more inclusive vision and an affirming vision of um, – to include asexual and aromantic folks. I, I, like we talked about with um, amatonormativity as well, though, like it – it also includes, like you said, people who are um, just the agency of deciding in this season I'm not or for um, with this person I'm not anymore or um, or this this particular act within sex is no longer life giving, um, yes, or, or something for me and and that that idea, um, you know, people we've you and I have been on on a podcast before and we've talked about, you know, the difference between lust and desire and masturbation and how that factors in even with asexuality and all of that. And, um, and there are, I think sexual liberation includes all of those things as well. The freedom to explore within your own mind and your own heart and your own body, what is arousal, um, what turns you on, what doesn't, mm -hmm. and that those things can change over time. And so it has to include the freedom to then say no to them um, once, it, yes. once they're not included anymore. So if a certain, um, I don't know, a certain um, – dynamic you know it it like I, I talked about this at, um with Debbie on um I can't remember what, what episode on what on where do we go from here we talked a, a little bit about it because um there were things that may or may not have been turn-ons at one time that once I got therapy and once I was healed in a way that there were things um that were no longer a turn on. And in fact, they, they sort of brought up a version of myself that I didn't want to be anymore. Um, and because I don't believe we should silo off our sex and sexuality from the rest of ourselves, that to stay an integrated whole person, it doesn't need to be um, like our sexual ethics and our faith are over here. And then we silo them off and we do you know, we sort of dissociate and do things, you know, that we're either expected to do or that we're in the habit of doing or whatever, um, just because it's easier than having a mm -hmm. hard conversation or saying no. <laughs> and so, um, and so yeah. yeah, I really like, I really like that, that the idea of sexual liberation as a whole, we're not, I mean, we're not not talking about this, but, but in this purposes of our conversation, we're not saying like, 
hippie free love, everyone having sex on the sidewalk all over the place Mm and, um, guard your, hide your kids, hide your wives. You know, it's not, it's not that necessarily for the purposes of our conversation. Because that's not consent either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that's not consent either. Is that, you know, whether you're extremely restrictive moral purity culture or everyone everywhere all the time must be having sex in order to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, neither one of those is a complete view of liberation. It, it has to include the full spectrum of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a personal choice thing. And that also it's not just sex as in a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And so mm-hmm. you, you've got to balance both things of that neighbor love. So it's replacing this um, concept, this morality with a neighbor love and your self love and what is loving to God and what is loving to um, the world around you, what is honoring of your own experience, what is honoring of others' experiences. It's yeah. it's this whole consent-based morality um, that really um, gets beyond a level of maturity that is stuck on the rules of do's and don'ts. Right. And we're progressing into a spiritual maturity, into a sexual maturity that has to ask what is good, yeah. what is honoring, what is loving. Um, beyond just the the you know you can't do this you can do this this is allowed this is not allowed yeah and and I I think Nadia Boltzweber talks about this in Shameless that that like the the consent conversation is a, is wonderful and needed and important and vital and so hear me saying all of that um, but that you sure. know as we develop our own sexual ethics that which we're going to be talking about all this month um all february here on the podcast and um and so to do that like as christians particularly we go beyond just consent which is it, it for the purposes of this conversation the rules um to care and concern mm-hmm. to love of god and love of neighbor and love of self and what is um what is true flourishing rather than just what's okay with us, what we'll tolerate or what we're okay with, or even what we want, but may not be good for us, right? To care and to concern, you know, yourself with your partner or with your own desires and self, like, um, you could, sure, you could give yourselves over to, let's say, let's say you, you're someone who um, engages in pornography ethically and, and you, within your own sexual values, you are okay with that. Okay, great. Um, but if you give yourselves over yourself over to it eight hours a day, for example, and then you're not getting your work done and you're not getting your, you know, your, your other parts of your life start falling apart. And then it becomes where it's controlling you, even if it's quote ethically produced or whatever. Right. Um, the, the, the moving beyond consent to like where, where you're saying this is okay with me into care and concern would say it's, but it's not, it's not good for me in this way. The way that I'm using and and participating in it is no longer good and healthy. Um, And so, yeah. And even taking a level up of not just like, it's not hurting anybody, but who is it benefiting? Is it life-giving to you? Okay, so that was my conversation with my friend and yours, Jenna DeWitt. I hope you'll take some time to really sit with Jenna's words and her experiences and her vision for the church as a more vibrant and full representation of God's beautiful creation and family. So why does this matter? 
As I listen to and learn from Jenna and have for years now, I'm reminded of something that Crispin Mayfield, who was our guest two weeks ago, uh, he tweeted this during Pride Month last year. He said, queer Christians have saved my faith. They shouldn't have had to do all the work they've done to believe God truly delights in them, but their theologies have showed me a truly good news. They helped me find a secure attachment with God. I'm so grateful for my LGBTQIA plus siblings, those within the Christian faith tradition and those without, who have fought hard to show us that all people are beautiful and worthy of celebration, end quote. That's the biggest reason why this matters, because our LGBTQIA plus siblings reveal a bigger, more loving, kind, safe, vibrant, creative, generous God than the one many of us grew up being presented God's goodness is represented in the goodness and diversity and vibrancy of God's creation. Our LGBTQIA plus siblings reveal God more fully, more accurately, and more beautifully. I think few things matter more than that. But it also matters as we consider the way we think about and interact with our own sexuality as well as the way we talk about it in the public sphere. Ideas like sex is part of what it means to be human and Marriage and parenthood are the desire of every single and childless person. These ideas, in so many words, are constantly being shoved in our face from all sides of the spectrum, whether it's conservative Christianity or liberal, sex-positive, and even secular folks. But Jenna reminds us that true sexual liberation is found when all people and all seasons of life are included. My thanks again to Jenna DeWitt for joining me today. You can find her on Twitter at Jenna underscore DeWitt or on her blog at InvisibleCakeSociety.com. I will link to these in the show notes as well as the previous podcast conversations Jenna and I have had in the past in case you're interested in hearing more from us on either Mary Magdalene or masturbation. Before we go, if you could please take just a moment to pause this episode before the benediction and hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're listening in Apple, leaving a rating and review is so huge, especially for a new podcast like this one. And I would just also really love to read your feedback about the show. Join me next week as we continue to make space for honor and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition, as we close out, I offer you this benediction. It comes from Nadia Boltz Weber's book, Shameless, um, on page 192. My Christian faith tells me that good news is only good if it is for everyone. Otherwise, it's just ideology. Sexual flourishing is for every type of body, every type of gender, every type of sex drive, every type of human. People who choose celibacy, those who have one partner their whole lives, those who don't conform to gender norms, those who are divorced, single, dating, gay, straight, kink, vanilla, those who have hurt me and those I have hurt. All are invited to the open table, to the fullness of grace, the fullness of their erotic selves, their sensual selves, their loving selves. May it be so. Amen.